Hello? Oh, I can hear you now. Yay. That's because I'm on my phone. Aww. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen movies and adult rom-coms. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, adult services manager and YA lit enthusiast. I'm stealing your word, Maren. <laughs> and I am here, as always, with my co-host. Uh, I am Maren Hagman, uh, adult services librarian and rom-com expert. I'll, I'll steal yours. There we go. We can swap. <laughs> Uh, and we are here today to talk about the 2021 Netflix original movie, Moxie. Uh, this is your spoiler warning for Moxie. This movie dropped not too long ago, is brand spanking new. Uh, so if you would like to view it unspoilered, now is your chance to pause the podcast, go watch the movie, and then come back. We will be here when you return. All right, so... Moxie is a 2021 Netflix movie. I already said that. It is adapted from the uh, novel of the same name by Jennifer Matthew and was directed by Amy Poehler. It stars Hadley Robinson as Vivian, Lauren Sai as Claudia, Alicia Pascal Pena as Lucy, Nico Hiraga as Seth, Sabrina Haskett as Caitlin. Pat Schwarzenegger as Mitchell, Sydney Park as Kiera, Angelica Washington as Amaya, uh, Amy Poehler as Lisa, Vivian's mother, Ike Barinholtz as Mr. Davies, her terrible English teacher, Marsha Gay Harden as Principal Shelley, uh, and then a bunch of other people, including Clark Gregg as Amy Poehler's love interest. Which, Mara, about you, but you I personally like- was here for. <laughs> I'm sorry? I said, which, I don't know about you, but I personally was here for. <laughs> uh, 100%. Uh, Martin, would you like to give us a quick synopsis of Moxie? Sure. Um, so Moxie is the story of Vivian, um, who is very focused on uh, college acceptance to UC Berkeley um, and is just keeping her head down and trying to write her entrance essay um about something i think it's something that inspires her this is like a a little through line throughout the movie um she with the arrival of a new student lucy uh who puts in perspective to vivian um the amount of sexist crap that the girls at her school put up with um, Vivian is inspired, um, by both Lucy's actions standing up for herself, and then she finds her mom, Lisa's, uh, suitcase full of her old 90s Riot Girl zines. Um, so Vivian creates a zine for the modern day, um, expressing her frustration at the, the sexist status quo that the girls... Uh, at her school face and it becomes uh, both a rallying cry and an organization and they do um, Vivian kind of calls for different actions um, to have the girls show solidarity with each other. She's also doing this while keeping it secret that it's her. Um, So a group of girls at the school um, kind of head like, headed by Lucy, um, but also Kira and Amaya from the soccer team, um, kind of take this zine as a mantle, use it to form a feminist club at the school, all the while not knowing, uh, that Vivian is responsible for these, um, zines, um, and all the while specifically fighting, um, the behavior of Mitchell, who is, um, the star quarterback and who regularly harasses uh, the girls at the school um, and they start a campaign um, for him to not just kind of automatically be given this uh, $10,000 scholarship. Um, It fails. They are heartbroken. um, And in, you know, heartbreak and a desire 
uh, for justice, Vivian calls for the girls to walk out of class. Um, meanwhile, her friend Claudia, um, as the school administration has um, become increasingly intolerant um, and cracking down on what this moxie... Sorry, I probably should have mentioned the zine and the club are called moxie. Um, or as the school administration is increasingly... Um, you know, cracking down on this Moxie organization. Um, Vivian's best friend Claudia takes the fall. Um, but Vivian, finally, at the end of the movie, owns up to the fact that it was her doing the zines, demands change along with the rest of the girls um, from their school administration. Um, and the movie ends actually with uh, one of the girls um, accusing Mitchell of rape. Um, and so we're left to believe that the school administration is finally going to have to take this seriously. Um, yeah. Did I leave anything out other than the storyline with her mom potentially dating cutie Clark Gregg who buys her leaks? <laughs> uh, you did not. She, um, Vivian also forms a very cute romantic attachment with a boy named Seth who, um, I don't know, just has a very cute, pure relationship with him. Oh, true. I uh, did. Yeah. That I thought was very cute. Um, no, that, I think that about covers it. Um, initial thoughts on Moxie. Um, I think Moxie is a, a movie a little bit out of step with its time. Like, I feel like this is a movie that should have been made four years ago. Um, I think it would have been much better received then. Um, because I think, well, okay, backing up, I think the problem with Moxie is it doesn't go far enough for the folks who would really be invested in it. And I don't, and like by trying to water itself down a bit and make itself more palatable to a wide audience for whom its message might need some palliability um it kind of alienates itself from its actual core intended audience so it it's kind of a, a weirdly centrist movie that like both goes too far to be like a teaching tool but also like not far enough so it's this weird middle ground that i think would have felt more resonant four or five years ago i agree i think so I was I was frustrated with Moxie because I think it has a couple of things it does there are a couple of things it does that I really appreciated which made the times which made it it's more tone deaf steps like a little even more frustrating to me mm -hmm. because someone gets it like somebody somebody making this movie gets it but I agree it does feel like maybe things got watered down um, by like Netflix QC or something. Um, for example, I I thought it was actually quite clever of them to have the main character to do this kind of bait and switch, where the main character is a white girl who is almost teaching these girls of color how to protest but then in the like real life groups vivian very much like lets them be the voices in charge and i thought that was sort of a clever a clever way to keep a more like a i guess more universal that sucks that's stupid don't <laughs> um if your main character must be white, I thought that that was a clever way of still kind of letting voices of color be a little bit more centralized. On the other hand, in the big climactic speech moment, we get Caitlin, who heartbreakingly admits to being raped, and then a black girl who complains about how people touch her hair which is a totally valid 
complaint, particularly against white people, but I did not feel like it then got the same, it got like the seriousness of bought against bodily autonomy as being like leveled against the rape accusation. Like that was a weird juxtaposition for me and was one of those moments where I was like, ooh, you don't quite know what you're doing with your voices of color in this movie. Yeah, and I think that, um, well, okay, and again, this is going back to my point of, like, this movie is in this weird liminal, like, oh, God, I don't want to use the word liminal space. Oh, gross. Um, This movie is in this weird middle ground where I think that we are meant to, as you mentioned, see Vivian's kind of deferral to the girls of color in in the actual like real life meetings they have as like a a template or a um you know admirable but at the same time like she's both learning from them um and then also you know letting her best friend take the fall and take the consequences um, and the film has that one moment where they address that, where her best friend says, well, you can get away with this because you're white. Um, but yeah, there's this this tension of, like, Vivian is both deferring to their leadership, but at the same time, like, she has all this learning to do from them, and they're the ones who, well, specifically... Claudia, but also in some ways Kira, who doesn't get the scholarship, like, actually take the consequences. Um, so there's this tension where it's like, on one hand, it wants to model allyship, um, and wants to model learning and growth, but doesn't do it in the most thoughtful way. It's almost like the movie could not conceive of a version of itself where our main character was not white. Right, right, where our main character was Lucy and not Vivian. Or even Claudia. Right. Um, but yeah, it and there are so many moments where the movie comes so close. Like, there's one point where Amy Poehler is telling Vivian about when she was protesting as a teenager, and she mentions, like, just lays it on the table, like, our feminism was not intersectional enough. And I was like, ooh, but are you going to address that in this movie? Turns out they were not. Uh, they just wanted to to say, like, hey, it used to not be inter- um, intersectional, but then didn't want to commit fully to what that might look like in this context. Well, I would say, yeah, again, I think that it, it makes some moves, but yeah, it occupies this middle ground. Because I... I... Right. No, you, I think you and I agree. Like, it... <laughs> It says things that I'm like, that would be good if you actually did them instead of just saying them. Um, well, and I think it even does a few things, but it it just... Um, again, it's like... How do I put this? It, like, it doesn't... It, like, is, it, is hamstrung by, like, those tropes from like the help you know like yes and it wants to break out of those but it doesn't quite know how um i i actually honestly i think the most kind of egregious example of this is the character who it'll tell you a lot i don't even know her name the character in the wheelchair that they just kind of trot out every once in a while to be like look we're representing people with disabilities yes that was that was literally the thought that i had where i was like you think that you're making a statement by having this girl in a wheelchair make these comments like, oh, you don't even see me and all of this, but the movie doesn't either. <laughs> like the movie, the movie wants us to think it's being very progressive in kind of confronting how people with disabilities are ignored. But then, like you said, could not tell you her name if you paid me. Yeah. Like, yeah, she that is her only character. Yes. 
Um, I I agree. I thought that that the use of that character or non-use was truly insulting. Um, because they didn't even try. Like, well, I think they tried, but they again they were coming from the. I think they were coming from the mindset. Well, and the, okay, and this is actually something I was thinking about. Listening, I was just listening to a podcast episode about um, Princess and the Frog, um, and and it's yeah, it's this question of like, how much credit do we give lip service? And I think that the answer was very different four or five years ago than it is today in twenty twenty one. Um, and so, again, it just makes me wonder, like, who is this movie for? Like, this movie seems like it's for people four or five years ago. Well, and I will tell you, I have not read this book. I have not Uh, either. Yeah, the book came out last year, so it's a pretty new book. Um, and I don't know if these are things that the book does better. I, I would hope, considering the book has more, like, living space. Um, but I, I mean, I assume that Vivian is still white. I assume that that did not get massively and insultingly changed. Although, you know, it's movies, so who knows. Um, <laughs> I did... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry? Um, I did read a, like, Wiki, Wikipedia... Breakdown. Oh no, it wasn't on Wikipedia. It was BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed had a little like breakdown, like movie versus book. Um, and one thing BuzzFeed did mention that I thought was really interesting and made a lot of sense is that actually one of the major changes they made from the book was in the book the principal is actually Mitchell's father. Huh. Uh, and I was like, oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um. Oh, that's that. Mm, that's interesting because that means that making the making the principal a woman. That's actually that's a statement that I enjoy because I I frequently feel like um, complicity that women particular like the complicity that very traditional white women have in perpetuating. This kind of stuff is a topic that I don't mind having explored more thoroughly. Um, to do, I hated Mitchell so much. Um, yeah. I actually thought that one of the th- one of the things the movie did that I thought was pretty poignant, even though I hated it, but it felt true, is how Mitchell almost. Mitchell cannot be punished by anyone except authority. Like, every time somebody tries to, like, every time one of his peers tries to tell him off or insult him or, like, give back what he's giving them, it just bounces off because he knows they have no power. Because he knows that authority will always land on his side. And watching that was so, like, I I remember kind of feeling that helplessness as a, a teen when, like, the teachers and the administration were not on your side. It's like, well, then there's nothing I can do. Yeah, and I, so I think, and this is why, I mean, I, I get what you're saying about the message we're trying to do with, with having Principal Shelley be a woman, but... I really, for me, reading that, like, oh, actually, in the book, it's his dad. Oh, that makes so much sense. Because I don't think we were given enough of a reason for her to defend them, defend him to that level. Um, Other than maybe something with Jon Favreau sponsoring their football team. And if so, they needed to flesh that out more. Um... Like oh, I, I thought that was I just I needed that, that to be more clear. specific because I I had a really hard time I got the message they were going for. I just I needed her to have more specific motivations and I think that 
that level of nothing can touch me makes way more sense when the principal is your dad. I I thought that was pretty clear when Lucy is in her office after the first scene where Mitchell spits in her soda and the principal is like, if you say assault, I have to fill out paperwork and then it becomes a whole thing. But if you just say he was bothering you, then we can both ignore this and act like nothing ever happened. Like that, I think, was supposed to be our scene where it's like, oh, she just wants she just wants things to continue in her perception as like smooth sailing. Yeah, I guess I just like why she was so specifically invested in letting Mitchell just do whatever he wanted. I think it was less Mitchell specifically and more that Mitchell is kind of an avatar for as long as she doesn't see it, she can pretend that everything she can pretend that she's a good principal instead of having to admit that she's been a bad one by ignoring all this stuff and letting it go on for so long. I don't totally disagree with you. I I, I think, think that's it, what the movie was trying to tell me, but it did. Okay. I, I think this is, was a like tell show, not tell thing. I think that's what the movie was trying to sure. tell me, but it didn't show me enough. I think is where I, I was like, Oh, yeah. What might've helped is if, if you want to, if you want to keep um, the principal as a woman, which I, like I said, I, I do appreciate the statement that that is making um it might have helped if mitchell had had like an in if mitchell's dad had been influential in another way right exactly exactly like, like we needed a little I, more connecting the dots there yeah like if mitchell's dad had been on the school board or like some kind of wealthy donor exactly then her motivations might have seen but that and that even might have helped their point a little bit more because then she's she's complicit in the patriarchy, not only in order to preserve a status quo, but for her own gain, which right. is also a problem that boomer white women have. <laughs> right. Exactly. I think that, yeah, I think it just, if they had spelled that out a little more, it would have felt, felt more true, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, it just, the, my reaction to reading that in the book, the principal is his dad. I was just like, Oh, of course. Like that makes so, so much sense. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, how did we feel about Claudia? Oh. I, I had mixed feelings at the scene where she, so at, at one point in order to protest the dress code, um, Moxie calls for all of the girls to show up one day in tank tops because a girl who's a, who's busty, um, it gets sent home for wearing this, wearing a tank top that another girl who is not busty is wearing like an identical one. And it's not a problem. Um, and Claudia tries to walk out of her house and immediately has a confrontation with her mother. And it's a very like, I don't even see you, but I know you're doing something wrong. Um, and I don't know that I, I have conflicting feelings about Claudia because on the one hand, it felt like her story is leaning very, very hard into Asian immigrant parent stereotypes, but also I don't want to, I don't want to discount that very true experience for people. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. What did you feel about, how did you feel about Claudia? I mean, I think they at least articulated it. Um, I I did appreciate that at least Claudia was given the space for us to see this relationship with her mom and for her to have that conversation with Vivian of I have had like I need to behave this way for these reasons and um and that scene where after she takes the fall for Vivian like her not letting Vivian really off the hook for 
having put her in this position. I was disappointed that we didn't get to see the scene of Claudia taking the fall. Yeah, I it was supposed to be kind of a twist. Um, but yeah, I think it would have been more affecting if, like, the principal had walked into the room and been like, Claudia, come with me, you know. Yeah, or something where, because I honestly, I had kind of a hard time envisioning the scenario in which Claudia stands up and takes the credit for that. And like, I, not not that I, I don't know, it felt cheap not to show it. Mm. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think that. Yeah, she kind of, she didn't get her moment of, of standing up like the rest of the girls. Although she did, she does have a nice little moment at the end where, in violation of her suspension, she comes and Vivian is like, whoa, what are you doing here? Won't you get in more trouble? And she jokes like, oh, what are they going to do, suspend me some more? Um. Also, we never really find out how she knew to go to the school. We're just told that Vivian's mom drove her. So I'm sort of like, how how did she know? I wonder, I thought maybe there was something on the Instagram. That was another thing that I thought the movie could have done a lot more with. They sort of, like, they show people filming things on their phones, but they never really show you where those videos end up. And we've seen some movies that do really cool with social media and like the way that teens talk to each other through their phones and through like Instagram and stuff that I was bummed that we didn't get to see this movie's interpretation of what that looks like. Well, and it also would have given us some more time to really center Lucy because she's the one who's doing that. Um, so I also like I don't know why the film didn't decide to to have Lucy, you know, to to demonstrate Lucy's leadership um by using social media as the call to action. Again, it really feels like the movie didn't want to give up that much of its point of view to other characters. Yeah. Which I think was a mistake. Right. Like, at the very least, I think this movie should have had Lucy be the co-lead, and then maybe it's, like, the dueling arcs of here's someone who is learning and growing, and here's someone who's already there and ready to lead, and, like, actually giving... Like, if they wanted to do that contrast, they should have done that contrast, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. Would love... Would have loved to see some of Lucy's home life. Right, right. Like, we don't even meet Lucy's parents. Um, We just get vague references that Lucy used to live in the Bay Area, but we don't get any more of her backstory, really. Um, I did enjoy that Claudia is the one at the beginning who is like, what do you expect to accomplish by just drawing on your hands? Like, what yeah. is that to do <laughs> because I frequently feel that way about like the performative social media stuff like what do you think this is gonna do it's not it's not real action um and I thought that the movie could have played a little bit more because this is another thing where they sort of start to hit it um but the thing that the the drawing on the hands really does is helps Vivian kind of identify who is reading her message and who her um like who she, who the supporters are mm-hmm. of her movement and i thought they could have pushed that further or interrogated that idea a little bit more right right and like had them have some more conversations about like is the dress code like, the most urgent thing that should be addressed? Or, like, is boys harassing us? You know, like, like those, and I'm not saying, <laughs> what's up? I have very personal feelings about that dress code thing, though. Yeah, I, well, and I'm not saying, 
I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, more of their conversations with tactics. Um, yeah, and I'm not coming down either way or saying neither is, you know, that they shouldn't do both. But, you know, having those conversations of where do we start, what do, what will, what are we actually looking to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And I, I do think it's a I do think it's kind of important that at the beginning Vivian doesn't know. Like I was kind of frustrated that it's such a big deal that like she doesn't know what she's passionate about. She doesn't know what her like cause is. And at the beginnings of the Moxie thing, like before she gets really fired up, it's kind of stayed it's kind of staged as a little bit like Oh, she found out about this thing. She found out this thing about her mom that she thinks is cool. Like it takes a while for it to start feeling personal. Like Vivian actually owns what she's doing rather than it just being a performative coat that she's trying on. Well, and I think that. Okay. So I, I think that. Part of why it feels that way is that Hadley Robinson doesn't communicate that interiority as well as, say, Lana Condor into all the boys. Like, when you have a character that, that is that interior and we're supposed to see the transition from interior to action, like, I think that really requires some really sophisticated charismatic acting and i i don't know that hallie robinson got there quite um because by the time that she was in full activist mode by the end of the movie i almost like didn't believe it like Mm -hmm. it, it almost felt like she just became an entirely different character rather than that being a gradual build And all I could think when she throws the tantrum at the dinner table was, oh, your poor boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Your poor boyfriend and your poor mom and poor Clark Gregg, who is just trying to sit there and have a meal. Like, <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> I will say, I don't know that the movie expects us to be like, yeah, Vivian, you tell him, like, in that scene. Like, no, that, I, think I don't think it does. That's clearly supposed to be the scene. Ooh, everything is falling apart. But also, I was like, mm, I don't, I should feel, I should feel empathy for you at this moment. And I don't. I just feel that you're treating your boyfriend bad, which, in fairness, the next day he does call her out on. Yeah. Um but that scene was hard because I was like if you could just talk to literally anybody, like clearly communicate to your mother like your mom seems like a cool person, like tell her, please tell her what's going on, please. Please have like a good conversation with her, please. Yeah. I definitely like threw my blanket over my head for a little bit there and was like, oh, dear God, just make it stop. Um, which... I I think in all fairness, the movie wanted you to cringe a bit too, but it just, like... It was trying to have its cake and eat it too in terms of making us feel like Vivian... This is all really weighing on Vivian and it's coming to a head and she doesn't know what to do. But also, like, making us believe that she wouldn't recognize that her very sweet boyfriend and very nice mom wouldn't support her. For real. Like, we've already, we already know that her mom used to be a riot girl. Right. Like, it just, it, we already know. We already know that her boyfriend does support her because he's the one person who knows that she is Moxie. Exactly. And, like, for me, like, seeing her, so much of her character indelibly be, 
I am so connected to my mom in almost this Gilmore Girls-ish way. And I have my best friend. And oh, then I like this boy. And like, then the movie wants us to believe, well, and actually maybe Gilmore Girls is the appropriate reference here. It's like a season five. Like suddenly, like, we're just supposed to believe that <laughs> that she is going to project her anger about the terrible way these girls are being treated at this school onto her very nice mom and very nice boyfriend rather than seek their support to resolve these things. Like, it's it's just such a 180. I also think that I would have enjoyed a scene where Amy Poehler tells Marsha Gay Harden what's up. Oh, yeah. Why didn't they do that? They should have done that. Yeah, the Amy Poehler, and it's weird because she directed this, but she feels very underutilized in it. Right. Like, for a movie that's ostensibly about Vivian using her mother's younger years as an inspiration, like, we don't even know what happened to Vivian's dad fully. Like, we don't even know, like... The emotional arc that brought her from Riot Girl to Mom. Like, I couldn't quite get a read on whether Vivian's dad was gone or dead. Like, my guess was he was just gone and divorced because she mentioned something about a wedding he had. And she, and at one point, the the boyfriend calls her, calls Amy Poehler Mrs. And she's like, mm, no, not my name. Right, <laughs> but. Like, oh, sorry. That kind of only happens if you get divorced rather than, I, I, I would have a hard time justifying that attitude if her husband had died. I actually read that scene as, oh, her husband died, but she never took his name. Like, I think you could read it either way. Oh, I I read it as a, like, I'm divorced, don't call me that anymore. Because she was very clear that she never had Vivian's last name. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah, because she was like, yep, she's named after her dad, I kept my name. Um, And I, uh, t- to me, that was not, like, I changed my name back after divorce, but, like, I never changed my name. Uh, yep. You're, you are probably right. So, yeah, again, though, really, like, reading closely, like, the one thing we get mentioned about her dad is that he had some type of wedding. So, I was like, okay, well, presumably he, that's not her parents' wedding, so presumably he married somebody else. But, like, there's no explanation. Sorry, this all, like, whatever. Like, they, they don't need to explain where her dad is, but what it, the reason I'm curious and the reason I was like, but wait. What's her, where's her dad? Is just because we got so little sense of the arc that Lisa went through to get from Riot Girl to nurse or doctor living in a nice house with the teenager. Yes. Um, would also have been cool to have like story time with Lisa where she tells Vivian about. Like, more more of what we got. We get, like, a little brief thing where she talks about the, like, baby protesting that she and her friends did in high school. And really would have loved to have, like, a sit-down with a photo album or something. Like, let's learn a bit of our, let's learn a bit of our feminist history here, Vivian. Absolutely. Um. So, yeah, I think... I think overall, I almost want to say Moxie's heart is in the right place, but there's so much, there's so much it doesn't do that it could have. I don't know. I don't know. I did. I liked, I liked watching moments of it. I fully cried during the final like speech scene during the walkout. Um, but it could have been so much more than it was. Yeah, and I I think it, again, it suffers from, it's trying to do two things, and it's trying to get this middle ground, and therefore ends up doing neither. Um, 
And yeah, there are definitely enjoyable moments in here. There are great performances, especially Alicia Pascal Pena. Like, but yeah, there's just, I, I think you're right that like the possibilities of this movie are what make it so frustrating. Um, are we ready for me to have a much more superficial critique? Yes, please. Can I come for Gen Z fashion? Because what on earth are those pants? What on earth? Oh, I am sorry. Those are, that is a flattering cut for exactly one body type. And that body type is like very thin. (laughs) Like, oh, yes. Someone who was a teen during the boot cut years and had a terrible time finding jeans because they needed to fit exactly and nobody makes jeans for my body type. Dear God, Gen Z, just embrace the skinny jean. It is the most democratic of jean <laughs> cuts. Just do it. Like, truly, truly it is. Like, I avoided skinny jeans for a long time because I was like, well, my legs are chunky. These are not going to look good. No, no, missing the point. Exactly. They are the best pants. <laughs> I went through that exact journey, like fall 2009. That was, yep, I'm with you, Martha. So I just, what are these wide leg pants? They're not bell bottoms. They're not, they're like kind of straight legs. Also, they have like little strings sticking out from the bottom of them. Gen Z. Just, just, no. <laughs> Stop it with that, and I mean, I guess whatever you do, your middle part. I'm not gonna come for that as hard, but like, Gen Z, I part if, my on the middle. I can't. <laughs> and you know, uh, I I am not going to fight for the middle part the way I am for the skinny jean. But just like <laughs> Gen Z, if you're listening, just, they're not. Just don't. <laughs> I know. I just oh. I just, and I feel like we've been spoiled with so many of these movies having really great fashion, um, that I just, oh, Vivian's clothes just made me so sad. They did. And I, I thought that, I thought Lucy looked pretty good. She did. Um, I basically, who, what is the name of the girl with the, the larger chest who gets sent home for wearing the tank top? I think that is Caitlin. No, because Caitlin is the, I thought Caitlin was the cheerleader who got raped. That is Emma, I believe. Okay. Well, the tank top girl, like, that yeah. was my fashion in high school. So, I, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that tank top uh, was super cute. Did wish, so there's a scene where Vivian and Lucy go shopping for tank tops at a resale shop. First of all, think it's weird that neither of them already owned a tank top. Second of all, I wanted a much more full-on dress-up montage during yeah. that scene. Yeah. We, yeah, that would have been fun. Missed opportunity. Absolutely. Um, oh, this is an interesting fact. Um, I do believe, so I do believe the cheerleader character's name was Emma, and the reason I am kind of confident is, um, it is the same actress who played the main character and after. And I, so I knew she looked familiar, and I was today's year old when I learned that she is the younger sister of Catherine Longford from Cursed and 13 Reasons Why. So Netflix apparently just owns this family. All right. Listeners may remember after as that movie based off of the One Direction fan fiction uh, that I truly did not care for. That uh, gave us both an existential crisis of the state of this generation's version of Twilight. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Uh, anything else we want to say about Moxie? Get skinny jeans, Vivian. Get skinny jeans. We're here for you, Vivian. We believe in you. Put the overalls away. Oh, also, Amy Poehler, you keep dating that cute Clark Greg. 
Do it. He's a gem. He buys you leaks, girl. Go for it. I started, apropos of nothing, I've legitimately started putting leeks in like 50% of my food. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Like yeah, turns out I really like leeks as like a little, little flavor bomb. One of the things that I enjoy is chopping them up, pan frying them, and then mixing them into rice. So then anything, anything that I put rice with, the rice has that extra little... Just flavor zing. Oh, this is an excellent tip. I will admit, I have been a little scared of leaks ever since I saw Bridget Jones's diary. What happens with leaks in that? Um, she is making a leak soup, and she is supposed to bundle the leaks together and bundles them with a blue string. Oh. <laughs> That's a dumb way to use leaks, though. I know, right? <laughs> so, Marin, what would you recommend for our listeners to enjoy after or instead of Moxie? So, I will admit, I definitely struggled with this recommendation because to be totally transparent to our listeners, I typically take the themes of our movie look at my romance novel shelf or Kindle and find an adult, uh, romance. <laughs> um, this is not something that lends itself nor should it lend itself to themes of an adult romance. I think as much, I think this is very much a teen story. Um, and so I didn't want to do an adult recommendation. So this is all a long way of saying, I think honestly you should save your time and watch the movie that is presumably about Amy Poehler's character 20 years before and watch the classic 10 things I hate about you, yes. uh, which features an actual in the time riot girl. Um, and way more Ani DeFranco. So yeah, I would, I would recommend, um, watching the original riot girl. Julia Stiles and the classic 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, Martha, what would you recommend for our listeners? I'm going to recommend another YA lit book uh, that was also adapted into a movie that is also about a girl who finds herself at the center of a radicalized movement, um, but I feel was executed just better in every way, and that is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Um, this book, rather than being about, well, the, the motivating incident in The Hate You Give is racially charged rather than sexistly charged or misogynistically charged. Um, but I think that it deals with intersectionality way more effectively. Um, the main character star is African-American, uh, and she is in the car when a friend of hers is pulled over by the cops and shot and killed. Um, and as the only witness to what happened, she becomes the focal point as her community seeks retribution for the cop that uh, killed the boy um, and uh, starts to um, kind of go up in incendiary flames as they deal with this crisis. It's a beautiful book. Um it's a really great movie. I think the movie kind of oversimplifies things, but it, it was a pretty solid adaptation. Um, but yeah, it just overall, I think it represents a teen who kind of accidentally finds herself starting a reactionary and revolutionary movement uh, much more effectively. Right. Yeah, I, um, yeah, that's a great recommendation. So I think so we have pretty much, like, covered, like... The Riot Girl part of this movie and the activism part of this movie with two other options. So, listeners, you you might have better things to do with your time than this movie, ultimately. I might read this book. I might. I, I think that I'm curious enough about the source material that I might read it. Sure. Um, if I do, I'll report back. Please do. Please do. I'm curious. Honestly, if this movie was a tight 90 minutes, I would be more enthusiastic about recommending it. It's mm. real long. That it's is like a good point. <laughs> and it feels long. Yeah, it's an hour 50. It really feels it. And that's like the main thing that makes me... Because there are, there are some things in this movie that I think are 
worthwhile. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there are other stories that do it better. And it's almost two hours long, and I just don't have time for that. The lesson of 2021, folks. I just don't have time for that. Just don't have time for that. Um, so next week, we are going to be watching a Netflix original called um, is it Love Love Wedding Repeat? Is. Yes. Yes, a 2020 Netflix original, uh, Love Wedding Repeat, um, starring Sam Claflin, Olivia Munn, and Frida Pinto. So join us in a couple of weeks where we dissect that one. I'm really into Sam Claflin's IMDb profile picture. He is an attractive man. Black and white and very serious. Uh, in the meantime, if you are looking for more podcast goodness, you should check out our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework, which updates on this feed on alternating Wednesdays. So there's always something dropping in your ears on a Wednesday. Uh, you can check out our social media accounts at DYDYH Podcast. You can check out my personal social media presence on all places at Magical Martha, including a, a newsletter that I update whenever I feel like it, uh, tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Marin, where can people find you? Yeah, folks can find me at Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced, um, where with the current state of the world, I pretty much only tweet about romance novels now. Um, read many other tweets to keep myself informed. But if you would like a composite romance, not romance landia Twitter, feel free to give me a follow. Excellent. Um, I'm sure if I'm forgetting something, Pete will in in post. But I believe that's all we have for today. So thank you all so much for listening. We will be back in two weeks, and until then, just remember that we love ya. I did not enjoy that movie, but I enjoyed that discussion. Same! Kind of same. And, like, I'm glad it seemed like we both kind of settled on very similar thoughts so i was glad that you were similarly torn about it because yeah i watched it i wanted to like it exactly i wanted to like it very badly exactly and i wanted to give it more credit than it deserved and yeah, yeah. and i maybe it was also like honestly it was probably a good thing i was watching it so late i watched it from like 10 20 to midnight 20 on saturday night and so by midnight 20 i was just like oh i'm over it like i have lost patience with this movie